Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of God for the people of God. Morning. Good to see everybody. Um, welcome to you who are in Benton and online also. and glad you can join us that way. Um, how, how was Thanksgiving? Got some good things going on? Anybody still in a tryptophan coma? Yeah, um, we, we had a Thanksgiving and then a Friendsgiving, and there was a lot of turkey, and I think my body is still recovering. Um, but uh, it was kind of a sweet time. Uh, so I was talking with a friend uh, the other day, and they went out of their way to mention, we were at the high school football game here in Cape, and that there was a young person, um, family happens to go to this church, and they commented on how this kid interacted with them at the concession stand like taking orders and whatnot, you know, and I don't know if you've been to a, you know, a large event um, run by concession stand volunteers, but it can get a little hectic in there, and, uh, and he was just impressed with how this young man engaged with him and treated him like, you know, a normal person and was able to make eye contact and ask good questions um, and be quickly responsive, and he just said, you know, I know he's just a kid, but I think that kid's going to go far in life just because he can relate to people e- easily. And whatnot. And I made the connection. You know, I know his parents, and I, I think I know where he learned that. I think I know where he learned that. But I'm betting that there wasn't like this dinner table conversation where they sat him down and they're like, okay, family concession stand coaching time. <laughs> right? He just picked that up mostly by being around the people that he's with. Now, there is, you know, there's personality involved and all of that and experiences, but most of the ways that we learn to relate um, to other people or things comes from not being taught, but just seeing it and feeling it. And intuitively, we just pick that stuff up. How you relate to work, how you relate to uh, someone that you're in a romantic relationship with how you relate to people that work for you or people in authority, um, how you relate to whatever it might be, your family or the church. Most of that stuff isn't really taught. It's just kind of picked up. But it deeply matters, these things that we don't know that we picked up, but it deeply matters and shapes our life in a major way. And one of the things in church world that we just pick up is how the church is supposed to relate to the world. Now, rarely taught, but it's always picked up. And we kind of learn it sort of by osmosis, just by swimming in that water. Now, so I want to take some time right out of the gate and, uh, and go through a framework um, for different ways that the church relates to the world. And I just think it's understatement to say that how that plays out in our lives is deeply important. That changes how we think about the world out there. That changes how the world out there perceives the church and God himself. And so you have a way that you already do this. I'm guessing you just don't know what it is because most of us don't think about those things, we just pick them up and live them out. 
Now, uh, so there's a framework that I'd like to walk through. Um, it's uh, called Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr, um, just in case you, you want to get nerdy about it. Um, kind of a classic way of thinking about this. I think I got to teach on this in 2017 at a churchwide vision night. So it's been a hot minute, and there um, you know, was less than um, everybody there. You know, it was kind of one of those events. And so I just want to teach on that for a little bit. So different ways that the church relates to the world. Um, one way is to see the church, or Christ himself, if we are the body of Christ, and the world, that they relate to each other mainly through conflict. They are in like competition and conflict with one another, and we would call this Christ against culture. That this is the story of how the church is triumphing over the world. That there's, a, that there's kind of a, a battle going on for culture and how the church is going to interact and should interact is by engaging with um, those who are opposed to the gospel in a way that we can win. Um, and, you know, like you think about like <clears throat> this gets framed in its most extreme forms <clears throat> as holy war, right? But this gets scaled all the way down to the Thanksgiving table where the, uh, the person that is a follower of Jesus and the person that isn't, they see that as a place of conflict, right? And in the holy war, you have to figure out how to like church it up, right? You have to lob the holy hand grenade at the enemy, you know, in thy mercy, Lord, and blow them to little tiny bits. With me, right? And so that's, that's one way of engaging. And lots of people see it this way, um, primarily more in like, fundamentalist circles, and whatnot. But, um, but more and more, I think that this, this stokes anger and fear, um, which is a great way to fire people up, by the way. Um, if you want to rally people, anger and fear is like the way to go. There's people that make billions of dollars off of us by stoking this kind of relationship. So this is Christ against culture. Um, on the other end of the spectrum is, uh, we could say that there is the culture, there is the world that we live in, and that there are places inside of the culture that seem good and that line up with the Christian faith. And it's the job of the church to kind of like make a spot inside of culture and affirm the things that are there that seem to fit with who Jesus is. It doesn't introduce new things to the culture, it doesn't challenge things inside the culture. It just finds the things that seem to already fit with their understanding of God and the gospel and affirm those things and kind of hold them tight. Um, I, the stream of Christianity that I grew up in, this was, this was probably our default, maybe when we weren't doing so well. And the, the good thing about this, what it rightly sees, is that God is... In, is on the move and is present everywhere, in every culture, in every person, in every system of thought, pretty much. There are things that are true, and all truth is God's truth. We're up on that, right? If you see truth somewhere else, even if it doesn't have the name of Jesus on it, that's God's truth. 
and we can affirm it. Now, the downside of this is it offers nothing to culture. It is very comfortable, it's very cozy, but it offers nothing to culture. It just simply finds things that it likes in culture and kind of hangs on to them and says, like, this will be our little Christian spot inside of it. Um, you know, think about, like, the Protestant liberalism of the late, 19, um, late 19th century and whatnot kind of uh, grew this a lot. Um, everybody up on that? We good? Okay, progressing. Um, so in uh, different ways kind of in the middle um, that have uh, different frameworks, one that is probably the most compli- complicated um, or the hardest for especially people in Protestant world um, to grab a hold of is this idea that like the church is kind of like um, above culture. Um, and it's, its job is to live almost in a separate world um, that Christian, Christianity and the church kind of retreats into its own space and lives out a little bit of like heaven on earth and doesn't really interact much down here. And the hope is, is that because the way that Christ has called us to live is, is better than um, offers um, freedom and healing and hopefully wholeness and all of that, that people over here will maybe like hear about that or see that in some way and kind of like migrate themselves over here. And there's sort of a, like, a, like a sacred space that's created like outside of the world, above the world, and hoping that people will um, be drawn to it. And, and also it offers the space for uh, the Christian community to be able to, to judge. That doesn't necessarily have to be a harsh word, by the way, um, but culture itself, to be able to say what's right and wrong. But just from that side of the fence, that's probably most common in like um, Roman Catholic circles, but we also see it in ways like with the Amish, for example, um, and, in, and in separatist like Mennonite communities where there's a retreat from the world um, and we will live out our faith over here and maybe people here will find their way up this way. This is a lot less like contentious um, than the first one, the Christ against culture, but I think we see that play out uh, regularly. Also, there's ways to like to do this subtly where it's like the world just makes me uncomfortable, so I'm going to kind of like drop Christian phrases and do Christian things that will probably make you a little bit uncomfortable if you make me uncomfortable, and you will just take a few steps back so that I can have my own space. Do you guys know that person? By the way, I, I happen to know a few. Okay, um, moving on. You know, what, one way, um, uh, another way of looking at, at how things are is to say that there is the church, there is Christ, there is the way that we're supposed to live, and there is the world. And that these two things are always going to exist. We have to live in both worlds. We have to live in both worlds. We have to figure this out. Uh, but we're never going to quite reconcile those things. And so this is called Christ and culture in paradox, um, where we just kind of, in a sense, surrender to the idea that there's always going to be a tension. Um, this is probably like Luther, amazing. I mean, Martin Luther is, you know, this like massive figure in history, amazing, amazing man. Um, but th- this would be like maybe his implicit view of things, you know, he would refer to people as snow-covered dung hills, right? Uh, like, you are, you are, like, rotten to the core, but God has, like, covered you in his righteousness. 
Um, and so there's like this tension, you know, you're always kind of going to be a mess and you're always going to be in the world, um, but we're also called to be in the church. And this can, when it's not um, very functional, it, it looks like when we're in church world, we do the church stuff. We look like church people, we talk like church people, we, we do the, the Christian thing, but when we enter the world, it's kind of like we sort of like hang that up, you know, next to the door, and then we go into the world, and we do the world thing while we're in the world. You know, you go to work, and you, you talk like everybody at work, and you act like everybody at work, and you use authority, maybe like someone that doesn't follow Jesus uses authority. And then when you leave that world, you kind of hang that up, and you come back to the church. And that's, it's, that's just how it is. That's just how life actually works. And, and so we're just going to live in the paradox, and we kind of have two worlds and two selves that we move between and there's, like, there's different ways, I'm sure, that we could talk about it. But the question is, how do we relate as people who follow Jesus to the world? How do we figure that out? Well, I, I just I want to hop to a, maybe a very um, familiar passage of Scripture um, for many of you, where Jesus, at, at the beginning of Matthew, um, Matthew's account of Jesus' life, he gathers people and starts this announcement of the kingdom of God. And it's this passage, by the way, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a couple of chapters in Matthew. And I used to say that I liked it because you have to, because it's the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm a pastor. And who's going who's gonna to be like, you know what's not my favorite? <laughs> you know, you just can't say it. And it, it was actually, um, there was a, a book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy that just like grabbed the Sermon on the Mount for me and like it's, it's like it tur- he turned it. So he says, what if you think about it this way? And, and now it lights me up. Now it, like, it brings me to tears. Now it, like, it gives me like the, like the chill bumps every time I read it. And it makes me want to change my life. Like it, he absolutely changed it for me. Um, and when he's finished with this section, this announcement of the kingdom of God about who's blessed, who's actually blessed in the kingdom of God, he gets to this place about how the church is supposed to relate to the world. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That when Jesus is like setting the ground rules for how his people are going to interact with the world, he seems to use something different. Does does that seem to be Christ against culture? No, he doesn't, he doesn't see culture as something to fight with. He doesn't see it as something to, to fight with. Does he see it as something just to find the things that are inside of culture that line up with his world and affirm them and that's it? He talks about if salt loses its saltiness, if you, if you aren't different, if you, if you are just the same as the culture, but you kind of have like some Jesus on the front of it, does that offer anything? 
He actually has some, some challenging phrases there. He says it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Those are not Jesus' softest words. By the way, I used to think that that was just Jesus wasn't on his rhetorical game at that moment. You know, like, have you ever run across salt that isn't salty? I haven't either. I just kind of had this image of, like, Jesus was like, if salt loses its saltiness... And uh, one of the challenges is when they would mine salt and they didn't have good refining processes a couple thousand years ago, and they would, they would put it in, um, in storehouses, what would happen over time is that the salt would leach out into the ground, and what you would often be left with over time is just the leftover minerals, and so you would kind of just have like rock that you were putting on your food, you know, and that that's possible. But it's interesting, does he say that, that we're supposed to remove ourselves from culture and speak to culture from afar, like above it? No. And does he say that, that we just are going to live in tension? That you're going to enter the world and kind of hang up who you are, being salt and light outside, and enter the world and just be part of the world for a while and pick up salt and light back on the on the inside of the church. I, there, there's a framework that I, I think is, is, worth, is worth using where we could call it Christ transforming culture. Where we are sent as like missionaries into the culture to make a difference there. Not to fight with it, not to stand over it, Certainly not to be in tension with it, and certainly not just to affirm whatever it is, but we have something to offer. The question is, how are we going to be sent into the world to transform it? Salt changes everything. Did you guys notice that this last week at a Thanksgiving meal by any chance? Man, salt, when it's right, changes everything. Light changes everything and he makes he's like you are the light of the world you're like a city on a hill and someone could say so we stand up here and when people see the goodness of the gospel they will come to us and he's like yeah, yeah, yeah but you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl right you don't hide away it's to be carried into the streets to like light up the world that desperately needs it, Christ's transforming culture. Our movement, the stream that we come out of, um, the, the Methodist movement, um, was launched long before it was uh, a bunch of different denominations that it is now or different organizations. Long before that, it was this revival that exploded in England. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to know Jesus for the first time turned a nation upside down, made all kinds of religious people mad, made the government upset. It kicked off all kinds of things like the first free education. It started things like child labor laws. It seeded uh, the abolitionist movement. It jumped over the ocean and kicked off two great awakenings in America. I mean, it was a wildfire that people could not contain. And part of the secret sauce of the Methodist revival wildfire was that it wasn't just about getting people into the church. It was about how do we push our people out into the streets to the folks that need it. Feeding the poor, teaching people to read, moving people into jobs, advocating for the marginalized, along with preaching the gospel and calling people to repentance. Those things are often separated. 
And this Christ-transforming culture movement absolutely turned a nation upside down and then worked its way over to America. There was a point in the 1800s where one out of every three people in America was a Methodist. And that doesn't mean a church they attended, by the way. That doesn't mean like where their membership was. Who cares? That means like were they involved in the life-changing wildfire movement of the gospel in the world? That changes things. Christ transforming culture. And, and when Jesus, in this, in this passage, where he's talking about what it's going to be like to be salt and light, let's just look at, um, at this last verse a little bit, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your, say these words with me, good deeds. That they may see your good deeds. So that's interesting. So this isn't just tied to what we say. Have you been around people that preach a good game and don't walk it? I am that person. <laughs> I am that person. I love ideas. I love feelings. I have a hard time putting skin on it. They will see your good deeds. Oh, so this has to do with how I live out in the world. And, and then that results in something. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That tied to evangelism, people coming to glorify God, part of the way that we get there is by people receiving goodness in action from followers of Jesus. Goodness in action, good deeds that they experience that turns them in a way towards glorifying the Father. You know, we've been trying to figure out, um, often as, as a as a leadership team trying to figure out where do we need to go? Where is God leading us? And one of the things that we've been um, feeling and seeing even through like straight data that you guys have told us where you're at is where part of where we need to grow as a church is, is this, is this living as an everyday missionary where God is sending us, sending you into your world. Every morning he's sending you to bring the good news of the kingdom of heaven into your world. Everywhere you go, there's no sphere of your life that he isn't calling you to do that. You are sent by Jesus in, in, into your running club, into your school, into your job, into your home, into your neighborhood, everywhere. He's calling you to be an everyday missionary where you're going. And it just trying to get some, um, some practical framework around that. Uh, we borrowed um, uh, a framework from a guy named Dave Ferguson, good book called Bless. How can we be a blessing to the world? How can we be salt? How can we be light? And uh, it, starting with begin with prayer, how can I pray for people that are far from the Lord in my life? How can I start by praying for them and being a blessing? Who, who is God putting on your heart to pray for? Two people, four people, eight people that you have by name, that you know that God is sending you to them or that you're saying, God, I want to be a blessing to them in a special way because I don't think they know you right now. I don't think they're following you. And the second is we're going to listen. We're going to take time and honor people by listening. We said that Jesus asked 305 questions, 305 in the Gospels. 
that he's spent time investing in people, that people feel loved when they're listened to, that we learn who they are. It's less about showing up with a pile of answers and more about honoring their humanity and understanding where God has already worked in their life and where they might need to encounter the love of Jesus. Uh, Last week we talked about eating. We're going to eat with people. Jesus ate with a lot of people. He said, Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Amen. When Jesus showed up, he was like, where's the food, right? And he spent time with people. People were super different with him than him. Super different than him. All kinds of a mess on the other side of the table. And Jesus was like, oh, good. Jesus shows up with food. He makes more food. Man, he just loves a good party. And then we're going to serve people, which is what we're talking about this week. And then next week, we get to talk about how we're going to share our story. That when we let our good deeds, the serving thing, interact with a world desperately in need of Jesus, It's one of the things that's on the road to them giving glory to the Father, to participating in the kingdom of God. When we put skin on what we say in incredibly practical ways, how did Jesus do it? Jesus showed up, we just said, one of the things he did is he fed people. He served people in incredibly practical ways. He fed people. He healed people. Talk about that a little more later. He found out what people's needs were and he met them and the disciples did the same. Now, I gotta say, some of you are wired for this. Some of you are absolutely wired for this. Talking and ideas and theology may be less interesting to you. I I get that. But you know how to serve people. You know how to meet a need. Um, er Earlier, just a little bit ago, there was uh, three guys um, that prayed for me before service like usual, and they were there to serve. And like I just experienced, thank you by the way, you three, um, a little bit of God's presence in my life by how they listened to the Holy Spirit and how they prayed for me. And I know that one of them was walking through the hallway um, a couple weeks ago and saw me and uh, Daniel setting up tables, um, and he said, do y'all need help? And we said, no, we're fine. Yes, we need help. And he came and helped us, and he said, do y'all do this every week for Alpha? And we said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'll be here next week. He's just wired to serve. I have neighbors. My my neighbors right by me, they are like wired for service. Um, One of my neighbors lost her husband this year, and she sees it as her personal mission to like take everybody's trash can in after the trash guy goes through the neighborhood. You're making me look bad, lady. (laughs) Like, I'm an able-bodied man, and she's out there pulling everybody's trash can in like it's her job. One of my other neighbors brings us eggs when he has extra eggs, and another neighbor's a retired electrician, and he's helping me fix my air conditioner. I think they're trying to get me saved. (laughs) I think they've had a meeting, and they're like, that guy, we're worried about him. You know the pastors, right? I mean, he... And yeah, and, 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 and they've like teamed up and they're, they're getting ready to introduce me to Jesus, I think is what's about to happen. And they are just wired to serve like th- with their hands. Remember, disciple, discipleship to Jesus is something we do with our bodies. Discipleship to Jesus is something we do with our bodies. It's not just something we talk about or think about or sing about. It's things that we do with our feet and our hands, right? 
And what are the ways that God has wired you to serve people? Some of you are so generous with your time and and your skills, but you don't even have to be great at much. You just have to know and care about people. Um, Another familiar passage, sometimes it's good to come back to the basics. Um, In the book of Acts, right, um, the Spirit of God falls and the church is set loose. And uh, in um, chapter 2, verse 42 It says, they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay, so there's the part of um, church life that maybe us in Western American evangelicalism or whatever um, are good at. You know, there's teaching and there's fellowship and and, um, we pray together. And it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Maybe something we're a little less familiar with. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. Uh Uh-oh. They sold property and sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. How about that? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, not in their own space outside of their own space. By the way, they didn't have space yet. They were meeting in homes, right? They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, not just their own little tribe, all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The, the, the advancement of the kingdom of God, those coming to know Jesus, part of that is because they saw them meeting their, each other's practical needs. They were served by the church. They were served by the church. There were people that had their practical everyday needs met. Someone saw them, cared about them, by name, knew what they needed, and in serving them, connected the dots to the God of love who came to us in Jesus. How about, I mean, what, what about you? Who were you wired to serve? And, and this is, look, random acts of kindness are great. I love random acts of kindness. Um, sometimes I'm on, the, I'm on the receiving end of, uh, hey, someone paid for your cup of coffee. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, I don't know, you know, how that happens or who, I don't know. Random acts of kindness are great. This is something intentional, though. This is saying, I am praying for this person, and I'm not giving up on them until they come to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to listen to this person. I'm going to eat with them. I'm going to find out what their needs are, and I am going to serve them. There's a, a woman in our church who on the first week of the series, she found me after service right up here and she said, you know, I was coming to church. I have this journal that I bring or, you know, that I like take notes in, I think. And she goes, I couldn't find it this morning. I was so mad. So I grabbed my other journal. It's my blessing journal. We're starting the bless series. She says, this is where I write down when I've blessed somebody. When I've taken time to be intentional, to bless them, wrote them a note, made them some food, sent them a text, whatever it was. And she keeps track of the ways that God is calling her to bless somebody through serving them in some way. How awesome is that? 
And this could be something that any of us do. Who are the, who are the people, the names and the faces, uh, that will come to know the God of the cross because you took time to serve them? In First John, says this, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Skipping to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And we all know that that's right. We all know it. In fact, I'm betting that even like pulls you into it. I don't think most of us resist it intentionally. We just don't think about it. We just don't, we just don't think about it, about putting actions on, on the truth. But here's the thing. It says that this is how we know what love is. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters just as Jesus laid down his life for us. When God calls us to serve, he is not calling us to do that, to like put us in our place. He's calling us to serve to put us in his place. He's not asking us to serve to put us in our place. He's calling us to serve to put us in his place. A God who serves. A God who serves. What, what needs does your neighbor have how, how, can you, how can you serve them incredibly practical? Or maybe you need to grab their hands and pray that their bitterness would leave them when they talk about the struggles they have with that. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show up to provide some healing for their body. Maybe that's how we're going to serve people. Or, or maybe, maybe it's by bringing them dinner. Maybe it's by helping them fix their back deck I don't know what it is, but God is calling us to serve. So a couple questions. One, how is my neighbor doing physically? Your neighbor, maybe this is a good place to start. That those people that God is calling you to serve, how is your neighbor doing physically? Do you know? I'm not sure I know a lot of the time. How about relationally? Do they have struggles with relationship with their kids? Is their spouse sick? Are they lonely? How's your neighbor doing mentally? Do you get the sense that maybe they struggle with, with depression or are they overwhelmed because of what's going on at work? How's your neighbor doing? What about spiritually? Do you know where they are when it comes to God? And how can we serve? Just to, just to close. Galatians. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly and in love. 
for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Jesus, teach us to love our neighbor. Teach us to love him. Teach us to serve them humbly and that we wouldn't do those things um, to build ourselves up, but that we would move past just the idea of loving our neighbor, turn us outward, like away from just thinking about our own self and our own very full day and schedule and the things we want to do and the things that we think that we have to do, as important as those may be, and help us to know our neighbors especially those who are far from you so that we can be salt and light and we can offer your grace to a world in need by serving, by serving, both very practically and in the power of the Spirit. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Hey, we're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. And if you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.